0: Welcome. My name is David Rudy. I am the pastor at Doxa Church, and we're in a series called Greater Love. So please take your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. And in this series, Greater Love, we are seeing the actions of Jesus Christ as he was walking towards Jerusalem. We started this series a couple weeks ago back in Luke chapter 9, and that is where Jesus, at the peak of his popularity turns towards Jerusalem, he faces Jerusalem, and he says, I am now going to take a final walk towards Jerusalem. No one else really understood the significance of him turning his eyes towards Jerusalem in the moment. Nobody knew that, but Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was going to execute and fulfill his mission. He came here to earth as a baby he lived a sinless life and now jesus is walking towards the cross this is going to be about a 6 month walk jesus goes back and forth from a few villages and along the way jesus stops performing miracles for the most part and he starts intensifying his teaching so jesus is now teaching about the kingdom of god and We saw the first few people that he came across on that walk, there was four different people in Luke 9, and they all did put different things over Jesus, whether it was comfort or security. And Jesus was calling them out on that. You can't put anything over over the Savior. And then Jesus sends out 72. So this is what we talked about last week. Two by two, they go out into all the villages saying Jesus is coming, this is who he is. They're going out as lambs in the midst of the wolves and they're giving this message of peace and they're asking people to accept Jesus. Will you host him in your home? And this is where we find ourselves right now towards the end of Luke chapter 10 and in the midst of the peak of, height of intensity Jesus' mission is really picking up. In the midst of all of that, Luke here has a crucial reminder for all of us. We're going to look at verses 38 through 42 today, and the placement of this story is so timely. When I mapped out this series, I had no idea that most of us would be under quarantine where we were forced to sit still and rest. There's a few of us out here who are like on the front lines, constantly working overtime. Thank you for that. We're really grateful for you. But what Jesus is talking about in a spiritual sense is exactly what a lot of us are feeling right now. And we're about to meet for the first time, Martha and Mary, first time in the Gospels. And the language of this text really hints strongly that Jesus doesn't know them yet. This is his inception of his relationship with them. And as, as these next six months unfold, where Jesus is just going about from city to city, he's going to keep making stops here at this home in deep relationship with Martha, Mary, and their brother Lazarus. But... In the midst of this urgent time, the most urgent of times, Jesus wants to teach us all that there is one necessary priority. We all know what the word priority means. It comes from the word prior, which means before or ahead of. And a priority is something that you put above and ahead of something else. If you were to ask the average person out on the street, what is your priority? Priority, you would hear a lot of different things. I, I know we would all hear a lot of different things, and and if people were honest, we'd probably hear some embarrassingly bad things that that people have as a priority. Right now, people have things like toilet paper as a priority, and I kind of think I'm joking when I say that, but I'm not really sure anymore. Um, just as a side note, my family and I went shopping this week. We, had, we hadn't gone grocery shopping in forever. And we took the family to Aldi right when they opened at 9 a.m. Julie went to the door. I stayed in the car with the kids. And uh, as Julie was going in, they opened up the door. A, a rush of people walk in. This lady that was right behind Julie... Uh, came right out right away. Like she was the first one who bought something and came out and she had two packages of toilet paper with her. She goes to her truck, puts them in her truck. I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. She just, just really needed toilet paper. And she turned right back around, went back in the store. And then a couple minutes later, she came back with two more packages of toilet paper. This happened four different times. I hope Toilet paper isn't her priority. Um, But a lot of people's priorities are really being revealed to be messed up. And some of us who have priorities in things like sports or trivial things like entertainment, those priorities are really kind of revealing themselves and showing themselves to be not so great right now. But you would also hear good things if you were to ask this question to people on the street. What's your priority? You'd hear things like my job, my kids, my wife. That would be a great, hopefully somebody would say that. But should a Christian answer that question differently? What if I was to ask you that question? And right now, you have to write down on a piece of paper, what is your priority? For some of us, it's getting reemployed right now. And I, I hear you there. I understand that. That's a huge, urgent need. But what is your ultimate priority? What do you have to put above everything else? There should be only one answer to that. Just one. And that's what Jesus is going to address in this passage. And I think uh, most of us know right now, or at least we have an idea. You're listening to me preach a sermon from the Bible. You probably have some concept that Jesus should be on that line somewhere. But what you frame around Jesus makes a difference So look with me in your copy of scripture at Luke 10, 38 through 42. I'm going to put some of these verses up in a minute, but right now I would love for you to take your own copy of the Bible, because I know listening to a live stream like this can be distracting. Get your own Bible out and read with me in Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So the first point that we have to start with is this. Number one, sit as close as you can to drink in the words of Jesus. Jesus is sharing the truth And notice how Luke points out in the very beginning of this passage, verse 38, that as they went on their way, this is still the same walk towards Jerusalem. We're just confirming that. And now he's coming to Bethany. And it doesn't specifically say Bethany, but we do know from the other stories that we see with this family in John 11 and John 12, Mary and Martha lived in Bethany. And Luke isn't really even naming the cities right now because it doesn't necessarily matter. He's just describing what Jesus taught on this final walk. But we know that's where they live. And when you put this into context, this is pretty incredible. These are the the most likely two of the people that responded to the 72 witnesses that went out. Remember, they went out and they asked, hey, who are the sons and daughters of peace that will accept Jesus? Will you host Jesus and welcome him into your home? In verse 38, says this about Martha. She welcomed Jesus into her house. What a start. Praise God for that. Remember, not every village accepted Jesus Christ. That's why James and John in, in the beginning of this chapter wanted to wanted Jesus to call down hellfire on the cities that rejected Jesus. And Jesus rebuked for them from that. And he said, this is not the time for that. But Martha has believed in Jesus. And this was a receptive home. Now in verse 39, we meet Martha's sister, Mary. And look with me at verse 39. What does it say about Martha's sister, Mary? What does it say about her personality and her demeanor. Do you see that there? Well, I'll read it. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. So I think this is so interesting that Luke doesn't give us really anything else. There's not a lot to go on, right? It's a pretty light introduction about Mary. And knowing who we are as people You know, this Mary is the one who's going to be the role model. She's the example for all of us to follow. Luke doesn't give us anything about her personality. He doesn't give us anything about the way she looks. We don't know if she's an introvert. We don't know if she's just one of those people who like to think and process things. I think, though, if we would have had that characteristic in mind, knowing us, we would elevate something like that but we are told nothing about Mary, I think on purpose, because he wants to highlight something about Mary. The only thing that stands out about this was she was intense on sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. That's all we know about her. Jesus came to her house and we don't know if she was a one or if she was a nine or if she was any one of those things in between. The only thing that matters about her is the fact that she valued and she prioritized listening to Jesus Christ. Not only was she listening to the words of Jesus, but she's doing something that was remarkable for a woman at this time. She was sitting at his feet. And any other Jewish rabbi, not named Jesus, no other Jewish rabbi would have ever allowed a woman to sit at his feet okay? The the Greek word there literally means alongside. So she is getting as close as she possibly could get to hear Jesus. And Jesus is welcoming that. When I hear this phrase, I just get the idea of one of one of my children, one of my own, and they just have this tendency, no matter what it is, if I'm reading a book or watching a movie, just to cuddle right up, get right in as close as they can. And you, see, you just feel them on your lap and you're like, oh, wow, this is... This is cute. It's also a little uncomfortable, but, but it's cute. That's the mental picture I get. And, and just think about this. Mary is getting right up in there as close as she can to listen to Jesus. Her priority was to listen to the truth and to drink in the words of Jesus. So how can you do that? Can you do that without Jesus walking into your home? the answer is yes. Yes, you can. You can do that when you open up the Bible and you read the word of God, the words of Jesus. We often don't value God's word the way we, we say we value God's word. We, we can talk about it, and that's one thing. But actually investing our time and our energy into having a relationship with Jesus where we listen to him through the words that he has to say isn't always on the top of our radar. And a lot of times we think, well, we're missing something. We don't have the same luxuries that Mary and Martha had or the disciples had. Well, did you know that Peter actually says that that's completely not true? In the book of Second Peter, chapter one, Peter's actually talking about the time on the Mount of Olives when he saw Jesus transfigured. He literally had a behind the peak look at Jesus uh, behind the curtain, where he saw some of his humanity like lifted, and he heard a voice from heaven. Uh, I'm going to show you this verse. It's in Second Peter, chapter one, verse seventeen. This is what Peter says: "For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, he's talking about Jesus." And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter is outlining for us, look, I was there in the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, you don't get any more impactful and powerful of a moment than that. But get what he says in the very next verse, verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Do you get that, what Peter is saying? The prophetic word is better than walking with Jesus. It's better than even being there in person and hearing a voice from heaven. This book reveals the truth of who Jesus is and we have to value it and treasure it. So how do you acquire a taste for the truth? How do you acquire that taste? You have to start with the belief that God's word is absolute truth. You you must start there. And after you believe that, the words of God are preserved for you. They are a gift to you. Then you can let go of the people who misinterpret the Bible and the people who twist it and, and, and mess things up. And you can ignore that and you can run to and thirst after and drink in the Word of God yourself. God didn't create us just to let us go to figure it out on our own. A lot of people live that way and think that way. It's ridiculous. God revealed to us exactly who he is in scripture. He revealed to us who we are in scripture, and he shows us through his son, Jesus Christ, how we can restore our relationship with our creator the way it was meant to be. And it all starts with getting in God's word. God has a plan for us. God has a plan for this world. He has a plan specifically for you to interact in this world. And the only way you find the pure truth for this life is by finding it in who God is and who he has called you to be, by taking in his words of life. And once you really believe that, you know what's going to happen? You are going to thirst for more. You're going to acquire that taste. You start meditating on it. You apply it. Your life starts changing. Your motives change. Your anxieties start fading away. And you want more and more and more of that same taste. You can't get enough. It's an acquired taste. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't have it. And if you haven't acquired that taste, you haven't drank enough of it yet. But we are called to do this. We need to understand this. This is going to sound scary for some people, but it's the truth. If you don't have a taste and a thirst, to get with Jesus in his word, you really need to examine your own life. You need to examine your heart because people who know Jesus thirst for him. But as we're seeing in this story, as this unfolds specifically in verse 40, people who know Jesus can become distracted they can actually get away from the words of Jesus. So let's look at that example in verse 40. This is our second point. Second point today is be aware that wrong priorities distort your attitude. Verse 40 says this, but Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. There's a big contrast here between what Mary was doing in verse 39 and Martha in verse 40. But Martha did not have the one necessary thing as a priority. Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. And I get this. I can relate to this. To be distracted means to be pulled away. She was busy with good things. There were probably a bunch of people in her house. They needed to be fed. She had preparations to make, right? We don't know how many people there, but this is probably a house full. And she was concerned about having everything perfect. You see that in Martha? She wanted every last detail to be right, but to the effect and to the the point that she was distracted from listening to Jesus she was caught up in all the serving and and the same thing can happen to us i know a lot of people like this and to be honest i'm more like martha at at heart than i am like mary i'm the same way you know when when i'm at church i'm focused on all getting all the details right and when if i visit another church it's the same way and i've talked to some of you i know a lot of us are like this it's like the font on the screen can be distracting and the teacher's five minutes late or this person's voice next to me. And we have all these distractions to get our, our focus off worshiping Jesus Christ. Martha is being hospitable. It's a wonderful thing. It's commanded in the Bible. We have so many hospitable people in our church. You know, my wife is one of them. She's super hospitable. Some of us are getting a little bit of a break from that right now because we can't be hospitable, but it's a great way to show the glory of God, right? You're showing his character when you do that. And she was doing this work for the Lord. Jesus is in her house. But we can be just like this. We can get so wrapped up in getting the job done or doing good things. I mean, we're Americans, right? We work hard. We get stuff done. This is totally me. I like, don't, if I, if I have a job to do, I do not want people getting in my way. Please don't slow me down. But that's the attitude of a lot of us. If there's something to fix, I am on it. But look at what's going on in the context here. Remember, Jesus has sent out the 72. The mission is urgent. We're going and showing the glory of God. I mean, we did just the preceding Passage here was the story of the Good Samaritan, that parable. And we skipped that in our series because just a month and a half ago, Jeremy spoke on that very same passage in our relationship series. But we're in the midst of going out, sharing Jesus. Hey, the world needs Jesus. They need to hear about him, right? Now more than ever, and people are more alert to that than ever. But if we don't get out there on mission for the glory of God, we're going we're gonna to coast. And when we start coasting, we're going we're gonna to decline. We, we can't afford to do that. Just like The church is just like a business in that sense. Like every business, you either are in one of three stages, you're either risk-taking or you're number two caretaking or you're number three undertaking. And the church is the same way. We're either risk-taking for the kingdom, getting out there, or we're just plateauing and we're just sustaining things or we're literally dying. And we can't afford to do that, to coast for too long. We need to share with people the hope in Jesus. All these things are urgent. The mission is real. This is very much in the context, right? But in the midst of that, the high stake walk towards Jerusalem, Jesus is still taking the time. Luke is highlighting this particular story. You can't afford to miss this. You have to rest and stop and listen to the words of Jesus. This is the reminder. Soak in the words of Jesus. That is the one necessary thing. Now look at the tone in verse 40. Let's talk about that for a minute. Because it was bad enough that Martha's priorities were all messed up. But once you get your priorities messed up, Even with Jesus, even with doing good works, if you get your priorities messed up, something else happens. And you can mark this down because it's a pandemic in Christian circles. Wrong priorities distort your attitude. And we got to talk about this. Look at verse 40 there. Why is she getting so distracted and so irritated? Why is Martha so up in arms? Well, she wanted to get work done. Yeah, true. She's a worker. We talked about that. But let's go a step deeper into the heart. She says there, listen again to what she says. My sister has left me. Tell her to come help me. She's more focused on her sister and what she's doing and how her sister isn't helping her with her needs. She's more concerned about that than she is looking to Jesus to meet her spiritual needs. And we, when we focus on our needs and what we need to get done, to the detriment of spending time with Jesus, we're gonna get frustrated as well. Same thing is gonna happen. She's losing her joy while Jesus is right there. His presence is right there with us, with her, And she's still becoming agitated and frustrated because she's not focused on Jesus. She's focused on herself and her own needs. And now she's starting to point fingers. So much so, she's so worked up here that she has the audacity to interrupt Jesus. And she says, Lord, do you not care? Like, whoa, Martha, really? You just said to Jesus, the one who is walking towards the cross, do you not care? And I mean, anytime you say that phrase to someone, I don't think you're really very often ever coming from a balanced place of, of healthiness, right? I mean, I think about my own life and I've said this phrase more often than I care to admit, but usually when you say this, you're really ticked off and you have a really bad attitude or it's just completely sarcastic, but let's get away from Martha for a second and think about ourselves because Christians can slip into this same tone. You can live for Jesus for years. You can do all the right things, say all the right things, go to the right places. You can go to the mission field. You cannot go to the wrong places. You can live the Christian life and you can still get a nasty attitude. It's a tragedy, but this is what happens when we're so busy being Christians that we mess up our priorities and a good thing turns into the enemy of a best thing and we're not spending time with Jesus. And then before you know it, you're not a lamb going out as in the midst of the wolves with the message of peace. Instead, you're a person with the jaded, holier-than-thou, prideful countenance. And when we get caught up in the fine details and the good works over sitting at the feet of Jesus and spending time with him, the one necessary thing, the relationship with him, this will happen. It's difficult to detect because you're in the midst of doing good things and it doesn't involve bad things. But good things that take the place of the best thing, our number one priority, are destructive to your spirit. And that's what we see from Martha. Wrong priorities distort your attitude. She has the audacity to say, Lord, do you care? It's one of the worst things that's ever said to Jesus in all of recorded scripture. And this is coming from someone who loves Jesus, who's hosting Jesus, who's accepted Jesus. How is your attitude towards other people? It will tell you a lot about the time that you're spending with Jesus Christ. What that one person said to you in their season of struggle does not mean you should write them off. What she's wearing is not that big of a deal. What they didn't acknowledge about what you did should not be the be-all, end-all, all right? When we are more concerned with the bread that is baking in our own oven, like Martha, and how we can present it, when we care more about that than we care about the bread of life and prioritizing time in his presence, our attitudes will get distorted. You can't focus on getting everything done right. You have to spend more time with Jesus because it affects your tone and it affects the way you love others. And we can't love others the right way, the way Jesus loves us if we aren't spending time with Jesus. So you have this line, this last just cringeworthy line, tell her to help me. She's basically assuming that Jesus doesn't understand her. And uh, I mean, I don't want to just point the finger at Martha here though, because this isn't the time to point fingers at others. Have you ever been there before? Or you're so wrapped up in yourself that you almost come at your Savior with this expectant attitude, and you forget how much He has done for you, right? It's nasty, it's ugly, but look how our gracious Savior responds in verse 41. But the Lord answered her Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the third point. Don't leave the best piece on the platter. In verses 41 and 42, Jesus calmly doesn't react, but instead he responds with grace and patience. And he says, Martha, Martha, listen this is a soft answer that's turning away wrath, just like we see in Proverbs. There's so much tenderness in that rebuke. You're anxious, you're worried. And isn't that true? When you were high strung like that, when you're when you're a recovering Martha-holic like, like I am myself, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be exactly like this. Jesus has transformed me, but but. I can easily drift into this being stirred up, being uptight about many things. And there's a lot to worry about if you're not looking to Jesus. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And this is the way it's always been. There's always been one priority, one focus that we need to have. You see all the way back in the Old Testament with David, in, in the book of Psalms. This is what he says in Psalm 27, when Psalm 27 verse four. One thing have I asked of the Lord and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The one thing is his desire is to focus on his Lord. And in the temple there in the Old Testament, it always has the picture of the atonement. For us in the New Testament, this is focusing on the gospel. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3.13. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is Christ Jesus. He's the ultimate prize, one priority, one pursuit that you put above all others. It's Jesus, time with him. You know what it means when Jesus says there, Mary has chosen the good portion? So in the Greek, there's a superlative there, and it literally means the best. Mary has chosen the best. This is like when you go to KFC and you get that bucket of fried chicken, okay? You know, I know it's getting closer to lunchtime, but hang with me on this. You know, you probably can't go to KFC anyway right now. But when you go to KFC, you get that bucket, and you put out all the pieces of chicken on the platter, you don't just grab three wings, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. You don't grab that good-looking thigh either. No, you take the best piece on the platter. That's the good portion. That extra crispy chicken breast. That's what you want to put on your plate. Don't skip over that and settle for something less. Don't settle. What Jesus said in this moment is, look, Martha, your sister has chosen the one necessary thing. She's chosen me. That's the one thing that will fulfill her. That's the one thing that will satisfy her. The good per- portion is the only thing that will fill her soul. So Martha, and all of the Marthaholics out there, we have to stop doing things that in the end aren't going to satisfy and choose the one who will fulfill you, Jesus Christ. Mary chose the best piece. She put it on the platter and she made that her priority. It will never be taken away from her. It was the one necessary thing. So remember that question I asked you at the beginning? What is your priority? What did you say at the beginning? Has your answer changed? Or do you think your answer needs to change? Are you neglecting one thing that is necessary for a hundred things that that aren't necessary, that don't measure up? Are you letting the busyness of life or even the weirdness of of this pandemic overshadow your time with Jesus Christ? If you can't spend time with Jesus right now, when are you ever going to spend time with Jesus? Jesus and get in the word, and dwell in his presence? I know that's a hard question, but really, there's no excuses. There's never an excuse to put something over Jesus, but we can't make those excuses right now. If you aren't resting in the presence right now, drinking in the word of God, you're going to be missing what you need in this season. Have you ever wondered why Christians at time at times can be irrelevant? You know, what's what's wrong with Christians? Why is why is the church so missed it so many times? Why? Well, I'll tell you. We have the answer right here. It's because we have too many Marthas that are just trying to get things done and get out there and do it, and we don't have enough Marys. Even in the middle of the urgent mission, the 72 had to stop and rest and drink in the truth of what Jesus was teaching. We have to do the same thing. To be the cure in this world, we have to elevate God's word. We have to prioritize our time spent in prayer. So do whatever you have to do. Get out in nature, do something, whatever it takes to rest in his presence. And when you do that, when you start thirsting for the presence of Jesus, you can watch your tone change. Your attitude will completely flip. And as you, as you stop focusing on how this affects me and how this makes me feel, and you start turning that around to how can I the love of Jesus Christ? It's replaced with, it's not about me. Jesus loves me, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to love others. Even in the midst of going and showing the glory of God, we have to take the time to be filled with the Spirit by reading the sweet goodness of God's word, by taking that in and talking with God about that. God's word renews your mind. It changes the way you look at people. It changes the way you look at yourself make you into a light bearer who is a world changer. We're going to close with a song. And as we hear this song, as we listen to this song, and, and some of you may know this, sing along with this song, I want you to take this to the Lord and pray about it right now. Ask God, is there something that is distracting me, that's pulling me away from my time with you. And if there is, make a change. What is your priority? Our priority has to be the one necessary thing, which isn't just doing work for Jesus. It's spending time in the presence of Jesus. Let's pray right now and sing to him.
1: in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want Jesus, you don't owe me anything Cause more Just sang another song Take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you I'm caught up in your presence Yeah your feet.